Welcome to Just Mash Podcast, episode one eleven. You're Josh. Yeah, I'm Josh. <laughs> <laughs> You're Matthew. Yeah. <laughs> Every fucking time. Yeah. Man. This is the Hall of Fame. Yeah, it is. The first annual Just Mash Hall of Fame. The first class. Uh, I'm excited. Yeah. This is an idea we've been kind of kicking around for a while, trying to figure out what exactly we wanted to do, how we wanted to do it. Uh, we kind of finally formatted it the right way, and and now we're here. We are. You know, it's it's uh it's pretty cool, man. I, to me, a Hall of Fame is something that I think everything kind of needs. You know, because I think that's really what solidifies excellence. A, yeah, it, well, like it solidifies e- excellence, but I think it also solidifies like an institution. You know, like just Mash having a Hall of Fame. To me, it's yeah. like it finalizes us as a thing. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, and I I think it's gonna be something fun that we do every year. Um. This year, we're so this is the way we're going to kind of do this. We weren't really sure how we wanted to go back and listen to the end of the last episode to hear us kind of, you know, play some ping pong verbally and figure out what we are going to do. But we've got five wings of the Hall of Fame films, episodes of television, performances, people, and then miscellaneous. Yeah. So, what we're going to do is I am going to nominate 10 films. You will nominate ten films, and then we will kind of collaborate to decide which three go in. Okay. Same thing with people, same thing with miscellaneous, same thing with episodes, same thing with performances. So this is what I'm thinking, though, the way to do it, as to not spoil, like, the next few classes. Okay. Instead of just listing both of our tens, maybe what we should do is kind of rank them in order of how we think they should go in. Mm. So, like... The most important film that I think should go in, I'll say first. And if you agree, then we can pass it on. Or okay. what we could do is just say all 20 and then pick the three from there. Let's do that, the first thing. Okay. So we'll rank them and yeah. we'll just and go one by one. Just so, you know, if the first three that we both say are the same, we don't want to spoil what we had for 4 right. through 10 because that could go in next year. You know yeah. what I mean? Now, the exciting thing about this is one of the rules we have is there's a five-year sit-out period. So in order for something to be eligible for nomination of the Hall of Fame, it has to be five years or more old. So this year, 2015 and below to the beginning of eternity. And then next year, anything that was released in 2016 becomes eligible. So something kind of cool is, you know, we have our ten films now. We'll nominate three of them. Maybe something that came out in 2016 kicks something off of the ten that we have now. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, so I think it'll be it'll be kind of cool to to go into that as time goes on. Um. Okay. What category do you want to start with? <sighs> let's do let's do the movies first because we were hinting at it and it's just what we used it as the example just now. So let's let's do that. Okay. The first film that I'm nominating for the Just Mash Hall of Fame, 2001: A Space Odyssey. Uh yes. Same. Yeah, same. Inducted. Inducted. Here and then I think we can um let's let's talk about it. Okay. That's that's we'll kind of literally induct yeah. induct each thing. We need a stamp. Like a physical stamp. Yeah. I don't know. Like like or something to put on uh the the portion of the website that's got the Hall of Fame. It's got the right. it's got the induction stamp on it. I don't know. Okay. Two thousand one a Space Odyssey released in nineteen sixty eight, rated G for all audiences. Wow. 
Uh, it's two hours and 29 minutes long. It is an adventure and sci-fi film. I would also throw horror in there. Uh, 8.3 out of 10 on IMDb. Stars Kira Dulea, Gary Lockwood, William Sylvester, Daniel Richter. Directed by Stanley Kubrick. Uh, adapted from a short story by Arthur C. Clarke. In my opinion, the greatest film ever made. Yeah. I think, you know. Uh, Oscar winner for Best Visual Effects. Uh, Stanley Kubrick was nominated for Best Director. Uh, the script was nominated for Best Screenplay. Who won that year then? Uh, let's find if out. If he didn't actually. Let me see. So that was what year? 60? 69 would be that year. Wow. So I'm looking for Best Screenplay. Best costume design, best director, best documentary, best documentary, best effects, film editing, foreign language, best music, hmm. music, music, best picture. So that year, Oliver won. Ain't that a fucking disgrace? Yeah. Um, best short subject, best sound. Okay, best writing was The Lion in Winter. Oh, and then best adapted was The Producers by Mel Brooks. Oh, okay. So, I've wanted to see that. Yeah, for a long time. Yeah. Oh well, I mean, you know, you can't win them all. Yeah. And I think the legacy of 2001 has outlasted any other fucking thing that was nominated that year. True. Um, and then they were also nominated for best art direction or set direction. So, like I said, in my opinion, the greatest film ever made. I think the technological and creative ambition far far exceeds anything i've ever seen yeah. in any medium ever you know i think there's a few things that kind of come close but nothing that's ever even touched it and it's really hard to paint such a deeply existential philosophical mm-hmm. cosmic painting yeah especially through the movie. lens of horror and sci-fi you know and also with several different storylines too you yeah. know we start you know, with evolution of man, you know, and the and the apes and the fucking monoliths and shit, and then the moon and Hal and just oh my gosh, and Hal nine thousand, one of the all time greatest movie villains, yeah, ever potentially even number one. You know, that would be that should be a episode we do, yeah, top movie villains, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, open the pod bay doors, Hal is one of the greatest scenes of all time. You know, the fucking oh, the the fucking museum. The history of man, you know, at the end, I think is one of the greatest, most terrifying fucking yeah. things you could ever fucking see. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to say things about this film that haven't already been said, but I think that goes to show how fucking phenomenal it is. Mm-hmm. And it also goes to show why it's the first nominee, first induction into the Just Mash Hall of Fame. Yeah. Yeah. The amount that we've talked about it. Yeah. The impact that it's had on society, 100%. filmmaking, storytelling, everything. Yep. All right, hit me with your second film. Ooh, this one's going to be tough. Um, I think because of what it did. Mm-hmm. So, okay, hold on. So I think kind of our basis for nomination on a lot of these things, the quality of them, importance of them, but also relevance to us in the podcast, I think should be a part of it. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. If it's something that comes up every fucking episode, it's got some credibility. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, continue. And also, if what you say I think does belong, but there's other stuff I think is ahead of it, I mm. will go on and then vice versa. Yeah. So, go on. Uh, The Godfather. <sighs> yeah. 
Yes and no. Interesting. I I think it. I think it belongs. My only stop gap is I don't feel like we talk about it enough. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's understandable. But it is. If 2001 is the greatest movie ever, I'm just thinking Godfather is like right next. Yeah. Fuck it. If it's not okay, I was gonna say if it's not immediate, I'm cool with. No, let's, let's do it. Okay, yeah. Godfather. Because me... I think without the Godfather, we don't have the Sopranos, Mm-mm. and the Sopranos, I think, Mm-mm. is the greatest TV show of all time. Absolutely. And it's it's just hard to imagine a world without both of those things. Okay, so The Godfather, released in 1972, rated R, two hours and 55 minutes long, crime and drama categories, has a 9.2 out of 10 on IMDb. Uh, stars Marlon Brando, Al Pacino, James Caan, Diane Keaton, Robert Duvall. It's just fucking such an incredible fucking cast. Um, directed by Francis Ford Coppola, based off the book written by Mario Puzo. Um, like I said, if if 2001 is number one, Godfather might even be like one, like one A one B. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they, it, it might actually. You need to see Godfather too, right? Because. It might be a little bit better than Godfather One, like oh, a little bit. Oh wow! Better. It's it's a big debate, like which one's better, because it's really like okay, which one's a hundred percent, which one's a hundred and one percent. You know what I mean? Like they're both so flawless, but Godfather Two just has some really interesting story techniques. Um, the first time I saw The Godfather was in Florida. It was me, Gavin, and my great uncle. And it was probably, I want to say 2014, 2015. We watched the whole trilogy in a day. Yeah. And that was my first time watching it. I thought I was going to be bored. Not once in that entire film was I bored. Even as a fucking 15-year-old kid, Yeah, not once was I ever fucking bored throughout that entire thing. And I think that says a lot about how timeless the storytelling is. You know? And how much it's, and yeah, it's timeless, but it's also got its roots in every every other thing like that i mean goodfellas the sopranos fucking everything everything any any crime mafia related thing Mm -hmm. stems from that and it's probably one of if not the most parodied thing of all time too you know like make them an offer you can't refuse petting the cat the fat cheeks you know that's could be the most parody thing of all time i mean i remember even hannah montana parodied that you know what i mean do you remember when the the cheek like implants things that brando wore went on sale yeah that was one how much did they go for i don't remember i could look them up yeah and yeah, just find, see what the final sale price was it was a piece of film history you know um i'll look up marlon brando and like he he was a a character for sure weird as, dude. as a as a person and I actually went back and watched the um, where he won that year the Oscar, yeah. And he sent the the Native American woman, yeah. And that like hearing people boo mm-hmm. that shit is like so heartbreaking. Doesn't now. age well. No, it absolutely <laughs> does not age well. But well, see. and it's weird too because you got to think about how time sort of shapes the perception yeah. of things because now people would applaud. You know, back yeah. then they. Boo, and it's like I think Brando sort of had a negative reputation because he was always doing those sorts of things and standing up for marginalized groups and stuff. 
And because that wasn't the popular thing to do, people were like, yeah, he's a jackass. Yeah. You know, whereas now people would be like, what a great thing. You know, I think also right. he did some scummy things too, but. Exactly. You know, talking about the way he fought for indigenous people and all that sort of stuff, you know I mean? Yeah. But one of the best performances ever. Um, Al Pacino, I think this is like, him as Michael Corleone to me is like his sole good performance. You know, I don't really feel like Al Pacino is very good other than that. Right. Like. It, it, yeah, you'd be hard pressed to find. Like, I haven't seen Heat. It's. But it seems to me he's like he's good just in that. Al Pacino, though. But he is just Al Pacino. Yeah. He's not, like, putting on yeah. a performance necessarily. He's just kind of. Yeah. Like, I wouldn't be shocked if he just did one take for everything that he did. Right. And that's just how it. And, like, Insomnia, seems. he's good, but he's not different. You know, he's just, ooh, ah. You know, I'm sure Jack and Jill is a masterpiece. I never, I really <laughs> wish that I could scrub that film from my brain. Yeah. Uh, okay, that or Night School? Thing. Night School, because it's more recent. Yeah. And I have the benefit of Jack and Jill being further away. Right, right, So right. I remember less of it. Which would you rather watch? Oh, uh, probably Jack and Jill. Yeah. This is the, the Just Mass Hall of Shame. <laughs> oh, you know the hall of infamy yeah, yeah that's that's where high school belongs oh wow yeah i know godfather i think is one of the greatest things you need to see godfather too yeah you need to and then you know godfather 3 just got re-released and re-edited by francis ford coppola in theaters and i've heard it that's actually cool. improves it a lot so i would i would like to see that um cool yeah okay this is where it gets tricky the third and final film right that we're going to present for nomination I'm like, there's some stuff that I feel like, e- everything in my top ten I feel like will be inducted eventually. Yeah. It's just which one belongs right now. I, I like, and see, I would like to get, and I don't want to say a bit of diversity, but like cover yeah. all, the all of our bases, right? So I, yeah. I'm i going to see if I can telepathically shoot an answer over to you okay. to see if maybe we can come up with. Okay. I'm going to say say one, okay? You ready for this? Say one. We're going to say it at the same time? Okay, sure. All right, on okay. three. One, two, three. The Captain thing. America and the Winter Soldier. Okay. <laughs> I vote Captain America and the Winter Soldier. <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, and like... See, okay, I'm I'm just going to sp- spoil this. The, the top three that I had, okay, were uh, 2001, The Avengers, uh, and The Thing. Okay, I also have the Avengers on on this list. So, so yeah, and and that's kind of, and I'm sure the thing is fucking up there too. Yeah, it's on there. Next year, those will probably be the ones that get in. You know yeah. what I mean? But you can only do so many. But I was thinking, I like Winter Soldier better, so I'm totally in on. I that. think it's a better movie. Oh yeah, Winter as well. Well, I think they're both five stars, but I think Winter Soldier's better. But in terms of cultural relevance and importance, mm. back then the Avengers was in game. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's true. Like, when that was happening, it was the biggest film of all time. Right. And now it's, like, the 10th biggest film of all time in its own franchise, you know, which is kind of batshit fucking nuts to say. Winter Soldier, to me, is, like, one of the few comic book films that transcends genre. And it goes out of action film. It goes out of comic book film. 
and it turns into this political spy espionage thriller that kind of really uses Captain America as the figurehead for patriotism in America and uses him to analyze, can you actually trust your government? Yeah. You know, is there such a thing as patriotism, and does it get toxic to a certain degree? You know, just because they're your guys, does it that right. mean they're the good guys? You know, I think that film examines that flawlessly. You know, the scenes... Absolutely. Where Nick Fury shows Captain America all the helicarriers under there. Steve Rogers is like, this is not right. You know, this is not what I signed up for. You know, this isn't this isn't good. You know, and I love, I, th- I feel like that movie specifically truly is Samuel Jackson's best performance. Yeah. I don't like, don't get me wrong, Pulp Fiction's great. Hateful Eight's great. Even him as Nick Fury and other things are great. But to me, Captain America the Winter Soldier is where Samuel L. Jackson tries. And I don't feel like we see him try no, we don't. too much. You know, I feel like Not he kinda anymore. has done the same thing for a long time, you know, and when he does try, it's in Quentin Tarantino movies. But other than that, you just you just got Samuel yeah. Jackson. You know. But to me Because he knows what people pay for. You know? Yeah. And I think in Winter Soldier, you see true, genuine moments from him of, like, terror. You know, like, when he's in the car and all the cops are fighting him and shit. Oh, it's such a great fucking scene. Dude, the it's way nuts. he plays it where he slowly realizes, like, I'm fucked and I'm not going to get out of this. You know, and he starts fucking shooting through the door and driving and shit. And then when he finally does, but then he sees the Winter Soldier. Oh, my gosh. Like, it's so fucking good. And then towards the end of the film, you know, especially at the end when he takes off the eye patch and shit, fucking incredible. You know, he's so good. I think Sebastian Stan as the Winter Soldier is a perfect foil to Steve Rogers throughout their entire fucking history together. But in that film specifically, I think he he's one of the few times where when a villain shows up, you're like, oh shit, yeah, that's going to go down. And I think partially it's because of that very fucking first scene. Where Cap's chasing him, and he throws the shield, and he fucking turns around and catches it. Oh. Doesn't even flinch, like. Oh, dude, he just stops. fucking catches it. And then later on in the film, they're fucking fighting. Takes his mask off, and Cap's like Bucky, and he doesn't even fucking miss a beat. Who the hell is Bucky? And fucking goes on. Oh, it's so good. Fucking Scarlett Johansson's incredible in that movie. Anthony Mackie is like the most likable he's ever been as the Falcon yeah. in that movie. You know, I I love that trio of Cap. Falcon Widow. I love him in Civil War and I love him in Infinity War. You know, I think it's such a fun group. Easily my favorite movie. Yeah. Like outside of her. Right. You know, like I would I would say that's number two and like probably like Zach and Mary's number three. You know? I had considered putting that like eventually Zach and Mary's it's gotta in my be ten. In there. Yeah. It's in my ten. Yeah. It ain't first ballot necessarily, but right. it's it's in the ten, you know. Cause like I don't consider Zach and Mary five star. No. But in terms of relevance and importance to the podcast and like our <laughs> friendship how much we talk about it i feel like it deserves we to be referenced it before the fucking mics were on we did for, yeah and like didn't even acknowledge that that's <laughs> what it was you know what i mean like yeah. and it's not even a scene we ever fucking referenced no. <laughs> you know what i mean but like that shows the wealth you know we should have done five instead that's of all right that, that's the beauty of this is yeah. like well, there's okay. always going to be something to look forward to. i think I think instead of inducting one from each, I think we should do three from each every year. Mm. Because I worry if we just do five, how long would that be? You know what I mean? And at the same time, how many movies are there? You know, a million? True. Maybe. If we're only doing one a year, 
10 years until yeah, we I'm, get I'm all for that. You know what I mean? So I think we should do 3 for each category every I'm year. I'm all for that, yeah. Um I'm going to read my induction for Winter Soldier off IMDb. I forgot okay, to do yeah. Captain America the Winter Soldier released in 2014, PG-13 rating, 2 hours and 16 minutes, which is also the shortest film in the Just Smash Hall of Fame so far. Yeah, so far. 7.7 out of 10 on IMDb. Uh, stars Chris Evans, Samuel Jackson, Scarlett Johansson, Robert Redford, Sebastian Stan, Anthony Mackie, Kobe Smulders, Frank Grillo, Emily Van Camp, Haley Atwell, Toby Jones, and the indomitable Stan Lee. Uh, directed by Joe and Anthony Russo, the Russo brothers. Kings. Written, oh, dude. The incredible. fucking Kings. Written by Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, some of the best writers in Hollywood. Also Kings. Right now. Um, Oscar nominee for Best Achievement in Visual Effects. Mm. So, I would nominate it for Best Picture, but they've got a, a bit of a bias against the uh, the superhero films. Yeah. So A lot came out in 2014? 2014, yeah, yeah. a lot came out that year. Guardians of the Galaxy came out that year, Fuck. which was another one of my film. Um, and then in terms of like Oscar-y movies, Whiplash, Grand Budapest Hotel, Birdman, you know, so a bunch of fucking heavy hitters. Yeah. Yeah, fucking, that was a great year for film. Okay. Next category. Okay, this is where it gets... T- so Okay, so the way that I ordered mine was films, TV episodes, people, performances, and then miscellaneous. Right. The TV episodes, I think, is going to be... That one's difficult. Very, very difficult. And I think it's going to be difficult for us to hit the same... I think a lot of the same shows will be there, but the episodes specifically, yeah. I think, is going to be... Gonna yeah. be difficult. So we'll, do you want to do that next, or do you want to you wanna do let's, Yeah, let's fucking do it. Okay. Give me your first. <sighs> Uh, let me let me figure out which one. Okay. Well, I'll give you my first. Time. Okay. Yeah. This is, in my opinion, the greatest episode of television, The Sopranos season two episode thirteen, Phone House. That's on mine. It's on my list. So it's well, we're putting it, it instant, through. Yeah, we're putting it through. I think The Sopranos is the greatest show of all time. Okay. I think without a doubt, nothing even comes close. Nothing touches it because anything that does come close steals from The Sopranos. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's like it can't even. You know, that's how fucking good it is, you know? It's beyond, yeah, it's beyond understanding. Uh, David Chase and his crew, like, they built a fucking empire. Yep. Um, and just culturally, socially, mm-hmm. economically, all that is touched on. Still, in this you will Everything. see tons Everything. of memes about it on Twitter to this day. Yeah. You know, the show's been off the air for 13 years. You know, like, fucking incredible. Um, okay. So, Fun House, Season 2, Episode 13 of The Sopranos, was released on April 9th, 2000, TVMA, one hour long, uh, directed by John Patterson, written by David Chase and Todd A. Kessler, stars James Gandolfini, Lorraine Bracco, Edie Falco, Michael Imperioli, Dominic Chinese, Vincent Pastor, Stephen Van Zant, Tony Sirico, Robert Eiler, Jamie Lynn Siegler, Drea De Matteo, Nancy Marchand, Fucking, gosh, what a fucking cast, man. Oh, man, the best cast in TV history. So fucking good. Uh, Plot of this episode is Tony Soprano is having a fever dream, essentially, where his demons are coming to attack him, and the things he doesn't want to acknowledge that are happening in his life are making themselves very abundantly clear. Um, Some excellent fucking acting by James Gandolfini in this episode. And... And I really, I know you like dream stuff. Oh, I love it. Personally, I, I'm like, most of the time I see that and I'm like, eh. 
it has to be really good for me to enjoy it. This yeah. is like the fucking king. It's the pinnacle. It is the pinnacle of dream sequence, yeah. events, plot, acting, everything. Like, to me, nothing else should even try. <laughs> we should retire that. Yeah, fucking retire bit, the dream show. Please. To me, if it's oh, it was all a dream, I think that sucks. But using dreams to analyze a character yeah. and their thoughts without explicitly stating stuff, right. I think is my favorite version of storytelling because reality doesn't exist. Right. You could do anything. And I dream. think a, I, I think that is a double-edged sword because a lot of people, it is like it's like the horror genre, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of people think they can do it. It's difficult to get right. Yeah. The well, because you use have it to as be... a crutch to it's it's essentially a fucking sandbox, right? Yeah. The the sandbox is this character psyche, and you can have all sorts of wacky, metaphorical, mm. abstract shit happen, and then it just creates a natural puzzle for the viewer mm-hmm. to kind of figure out. If you do that poorly, or if you do that in a way that's lazy, mm-hmm. I'm instantly gonna fucking despise whatever you're trying to do. So yeah. it, it is like, and I I don't think I trust myself to write good dream stuff. I would like to see you try it. Though. I, was about I to think say, that would be fun. I've got an idea kicking around mm-hmm. that I want to write. Um, the only thing that has stopped me from writing it is it feel parts of it and, and the plot's not really similar outside of to like a husband and a wife that hate each other. But I, I don't want it to turn into Gone Girl. Yeah, but I would ne- I, like, right. I wouldn't have it turn into like a mystery like murder thing. It sure. would be, you know, my type of writing, but about a couple that despise each yeah, other. You have a wet dream about going to the Amazon River, exactly. and swimming and <laughs> wrestling Africans and yeah. Sh- shout out to Matthew McConaughey. I fucking by the love way. Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> He'll come up later. No, oh. not, not yet. Oh, okay, yeah. Couple years in the future. Yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. But not yet. Um. To, so I, that's something I will do eventually is analyze dreams, but. It worries me that I would either be too subtle or too overt. To me, this episode of The Sopranos walks that line perfectly. You know, they explain some things, some things they don't. They explain it visually, but you have to just be paying attention to pick up on it. And I also feel like some stuff they give you is a red herring. Yeah. Because a lot of dreams just don't make sense. Exactly. So there's going to be shit in there that's like, you're not supposed to analyze because it doesn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. So just let it just let it go and but all it's kind of the fun of like picking out things mm-hmm. that do mean something and that do pay off and all it just takes re- watching the rest of that show and the rest of tony's arc mm-hmm. and tony soprano fuck such a fascinating character greatest, with the greatest greatest character ever yeah and i think this this episode is also massively important because it has implications for the rest of the show there's this imagery in this episode the talking fish that is called upon two seasons later, you know, and they're not even, they don't flash back to it or anything. You just see it and you're like, oh, fuck, that's, you know. um, It's it's a great end to the season because I specifically remember I watched episode 12 and they do some wild shit in episode 12 and I was like, there's another episode left in the season. How could they do anything important? Yeah. And I even told you that on Fortnite and then I watched episode 13 and I was like, in, just in such awe when it ended, I said, "This is the greatest episode of television history." You know, just such a fucking great. Yeah. You no, know, the way that they wrap up Pussy's arc is is really fascinating, and once again has greater implications for the rest of the show. Yeah. And that's what a perfect episode of television does. I don't rate TV episodes, but if I did, five stars easily without a doubt. Yeah. And I love 
there's an art to naming TV episodes mm-hmm. because it gives you so much opportunity to be clever mm-hmm. and hint at the content of the episode or directly, you know, give away something. Mm-hmm. But either way, like like Breaking Bad has a ton of those. Yeah. Uh, fucking The Office has a bunch of fun stuff too. It just there's an art to it. Yeah. And I love the way that they name episodes. Well, in and this fun house. You know, like yeah. your brain is a fun house. You know, and I think that's what's perfectly. And I love the way that they sort of put the dream sequences to the reality scenes, you know, yeah. in contrast with each other and the way that he's falling in and out of dreams. Exactly. And I'm I'm thankful for streaming services now mm-hmm. because if we were watching The Sopranos on HBO on oh, our televisions, yeah. We wouldn't fucking see the titles of the episodes, no. right? Like you would have yeah, to no. go elsewhere. You to would look have it up. to get like the TV ads. Yeah, and I I didn't have any of that shit growing up. Mm-hmm. So if if an episode of TV played, it was just that. I it yeah. just it was the show and the station, but it did not have the episode name. Yeah. Now now I can see it. And well, yeah, go back now and with like a, a DVR, it tells you. Yeah. You know, you can look at the the search guide right. and it, it'll tell you. But back then, shit. Uh, all right, hit me with with one of your episodes. Okay, uh, and we can debate this. I'm I'm personally ready to defend it. Um, okay. I just mentioned Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. but specifically season four, season five, episode fourteen, Osmandius. There is going to be some debate here. Okay, I don't think that's the greatest episode of Breaking Bad. Mm. Um, actually, I think there's a couple that are better. Interesting. And don't get me wrong, I think it's good, but to me, I think it rides a little too high on its open with Hank. You know what I mean? Don't get me wrong. Riveting television. One of probably the best episodes of TV all time. In terms of where I would put it mm. in Breaking Bad episodes, fifth. I oh, think. wow. I, and I will say there's two that I have on here. Okay. And I'll say them both. Breaking Bad season one, episode one, The, the pilot, pilot, which I think you add 30 minutes to that, it's the greatest film of 2007. The, yeah. The other one I have, Breaking Bad, season five, episode sixteen, Felina, the the finale, mm. the last episode. I think it's That's one of interesting because the the two that I I'll just say the other one I had on here was the season four, episode four, uh, thirteen, Face Off. Oh, with, okay. I think that was the finale then, but uh, I season think four, maybe not. Maybe I wanted to say they had sixteen episodes. But I could be wrong. Yeah. Either either way, I, the title of the episode is Face Off. That yeah. Much I know. But where I Gus, you know, that is my third best episode, and then my fourth is The Fly. Uh, that was my third. Yeah. Yeah. So well, not third right now. I would put the pilot as probably two for right. me. The the fun the finale as three, and mm-hmm. then. So it kind of comes down to this. Okay. We both agree there should be a Breaking Bad episode. Yeah. In. I've got two other shows, episodes, that I want to present, and I think maybe we take a year and then get back to the Breaking Bad for next year, maybe. Okay, so no Breaking Bad this year? Potentially. Okay. Potentially. We'll see how you feel about what I'm... Because I might have... What I'm going to present. Okay. Uh, Where'd it go? The Office, Season 5, Episode 13, Stress Relief. Oh, okay, yeah. Where Stanley has the heart attack. Yeah. The, the the entire it's hour be that. Yeah. with the the roast of Michael Scott, you know, the boom roasted, you know, Oscar, you're gay. Yeah, Andy, you're gayer than Oscar. Every, like Stanley's heart attack, Dwight cutting the face off the dummy, staying alive, the meeting with Michael and and Dwight and David Wallace, like five star television, the 
greatest comedy episode of anything I've ever seen. I think. Yeah. You agree? Yeah, I agree. It's in. I agree. Yeah, we have to that. Okay, so the Office season five, episode thirteen, stress relief has been officially inducted. Yeah, into the Just Mash Hall of Fame. Let me uh pull up on IMDb so I can (laughs) formally induct it. Oh man. Yeah, that is like to me my favorite episodes of The Office are Michael Scott Paper Company, but not one episode. You know what I mean? If I had to pick a favorite from that though, it would be the finale of that. Yes, where they sell. Sell it to David Michael Wallace. Michael Scott Paper Company to David Wallace. It portrays Michael pla- in such a fascinating way. He's yeah. so intense but smart in that yeah. those scenes with David Wallace. You know, where right. he tells him, he's like, your company and is this, bleeding. And like, it, it, it's like, it has suspense almost like no other episode of The Office because Dwight yeah. finds out that they're fucking broke. Yep. And Jim has to mm-hmm. kind of, he, he has to play the, he the has to let Game himself. He has to let himself look stupid to Charles Minor, which is something he's tried to fight the entire right. arc. Yet this is when he finally releases and like for the greater good, I'm going to let this guy hate me. Yeah, you know, to save his wife and Michael. Like, oh, such brilliant writing. That's not what we're inducting, though. No, no, no. Uh, okay, so The Office season five, episode thirteen, stress relief, released on February first, two thousand nine. TVPG, wow. one hour long comedy. It has a 9.7 out of 10 Holy shit. on IMDb. Obviously starring Steve Carell, Rain Wilson, John Krasinski, Jenna Fisher, BJ Novak, Ed Helms, Oscar Nunez, Brian Baumgartner, Angela Kinsey, Leslie David Baker, Phyllis Smith, Mindy Kaling, Paul Lieberstein, Creed Bratton, Kate Flannery, Andy Buckley, Craig Robinson. That's the cast. Fuck. Directed by Jeffrey Blitz uh, and written by Greg Daniels, Paul Lieberstein, Ricky, Gerv- uh, Ricky Gervais, and Stephen Merchant. Don't count, but it's written by Toby. Oh yeah. So. Oh, so do they get every right? In, do, are yeah. they? Because they have creator credit. Damn it! I know those right? guys. They're raking in the fucking cash. Oh, dude. Yeah, I know. Uh, fun fact: this episode brought in over twenty million viewers, making it wow. the most watched episode of the entire series. And it won an Emmy for outstanding directing for a comedy series for this episode specifically. Wow! Congratulations, uh, uh, Mr. Blitz. Yeah. What a great last name for the episode, though, because it is kind of a blitz. It is, man, and it's. I think The Office really did shine when they would do those hour-long specials. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I think genuinely the perfect open of the calm before the storm, and it perfectly captures the American Office setting today. Smoking is gonna save lives. Yeah, but like the <laughs> the way that it opens with just quiet, phones ringing, people doing their job. And then you see Dwight, and you just know he's up to something. Right. But no one else does. And then he's fucking burning the door handles, you know, stomping the door stoppers under yeah. him. He sets up this perfect plan to create a fire drill, and it just goes way too fucking far. I think that entire sequence is one of the greatest things ever. Yeah. You know, Michael, everybody say, fucking go! <laughs> you know, Angela throws <laughs> Bandit in the ceiling. He falls through. Kevin, everybody's trying to break out of the office, and Kevin breaks into the vending machines and starts stealing yeah, shit. Yeah. They're trying to break the window with the copier. Yeah. You know, there's smoke everywhere. Stanley starts having a heart attack. Michael tries to stuff the wallet in his mouth, so he yeah. has to choke on his tongue. And he's like, Stanley, Obama is president. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking phenomenal. And, and then, like, even the more subtle jokes that make me laugh super hard or like when they're when they're meeting with david wallace and mm-hmm. and and he's like it costs us twenty three hundred dollars to replace that and michael's like thirty two hundred dollars for a fucking cpr dummy <laughs> he's like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and then like how michael tries to go and sit next to them yeah. and he's like move yeah. over <laughs> we're not mad we're disappointed <laughs> yeah and he's like no 
we're mad. <laughs> Michael's like, David, you're giving me mixed signals here. You know, it's and then the fact that. Like, that's the second meeting they've had with David Wallace that episode, yeah. you know, because they had to meet with him before. Like, everything about it. And then the roast, the the roast of Michael Scott is perfect because this was a time where Comedy Central was doing a roast of a celebrity, like, yeah. every fucking month. Um, seeing Michael feed <laughs> the pigeons bread <laughs> like yeah. you're not supposed yeah. to, you know. Uh, fucking, the, and then the end, which is... You know, one of the greatest moments in TV history where he boom roasts everybody in the fucking office. It's just, yeah. it's such a wholesome moment, too, you know, and I just, I think it's such a great episode of TV. It is. I think it's so fucking funny, so well written. Just, and it's, it's one of the few things that can have a cast of 15 people and make each one of their personalities shine through yeah. perfectly in an hour. Yeah. You know, I really like I, understanding your characters. Yeah is so important to me yep. and I love seeing people that understand their characters and that can make a story that makes sense mm-hmm. for those people. Uh, I just, yeah, a hundred percent agree in every, every asset. Tight. All right. So do you want to do? Third? Yes, I have a pitch. Okay. All right. Um, now this show, I think we absolutely that both know it should be on there. Yeah. We might disagree with the episode, so I have some leeway, Okay. but I'm just going to, for cultural relevance, for how it how hard it hit both of us, I think Cowboy Bebop season one, episode twenty six, the Real Folk Blues part two. It's on there. My my third one I was gonna pitch Cowboy Bebop season one episode five, Ballad of Fallen Angels. Uh, oh yeah, which yeah. is the Funko Pops that we right. both have right here. Okay, so all right, it's so tough for me. Yeah. Because I honestly might even put them as equal. Uh, I would. I mean, the whole show, the whole show, like clearly me, those episodes shine. Yeah. In in an already super fucking bright show. Yeah. But those episodes, to me, when I think of it, when I look back, mm-hmm. those are the images that I pull from. Is yes. The finale and that episode specifically. Yeah. The, seeing Spike and Vicious in front of the stained glass window, you know, with the gun and the sword pointed at each other is the moment that I fell in love with Cowboy Bebop. 100% was the moment that I was, like, in awe of the just creativity of the show. The art, the music, everything about it. That was the moment for me where I was like, this is something truly special. And the way that they use the the footage of Spike and Julia and then Spike and Vicious to contrast with it and Spike falling out the window. Also, I think it's the first time that, you know, we really see Faye attempt to be a part of the team because she's only been it for, you know, three episodes. Right. But she goes after Spike here, you know, to go get him. Um, I, I think it's just such beautiful writing, and I, I'm a big sucker in terms of story tropes for um, trying to fight the past in mm. a way, you know, um, just to confront the past, I guess, whether that be mentally through dreams or whether that be physically through an enemy right. or whatever. You know, I think the idea of the past haunting people is something that is it will always fascinate me. And the entire show is about that. In these episodes specifically, episode five and then the 26th finale, they are, they are together, you know what I mean, in terms of quality. I go with five because I think... What it has to do in terms of uh, being the first 
episode in the series to set up the rest of the series mm. is super important because one is just Spike and Jed. Okay, they're bounty hunters is what they do. Two, okay, let's introduce Ayn, more adventures. Three and four, this is the intro of Faye. Five is the first time, though, where we really see Vicious and Spike's story. True. And that's what sets up the rest of the series. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it Like, that scene is the background of my laptop. I've got that Funko Pop thing. It's the episode I've seen the most, I want to say. Mm. Um, my favorite episode is Aliens in the Attic. Yeah. Which is like 10 or 11, which... Couple years from now, I think you know maybe maybe we'll toss in. I think both of these episodes we've mentioned deserve to be in. It's just a matter of which one first. Yeah, and to me, like, yes, I, I and now I'm leaning I'm leaning towards five. I'll say that my reason for the finale though is I'm a sucker for an ending that sets up a story that we won't get to see, mm-hmm. or in this case, the lack thereof. Yeah, because. Spoilers for this, obviously. Mm-hmm. Spike at the end dies. The final word we ever hear him say is bang. bang. I think that moment alone mm-hmm. has spawned not even, it just, it lives in my brain mm-hmm. rent free. Yeah. And it will forever. It's so haunting. And it's haunting. And just knowing that Faye and Jet will have to, they, they will exist without yeah. him. And probably without each other. And without each other as well. And without Ed and I. And. The significance of this is the end of the window that we get to see into this world. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously the movie it takes place before this, but chronologically, this is the bookend to this this story that we're seeing forever. Mm-hmm. And I like the mystery or the you know not knowing what is going to happen next or the longing for more in this case. But it, and, and the stuff with Julia and Spike, and they're finally reconnecting, and they're just about to, like, go off and start another adventure, mm. and it's cut short. Yeah. And I think that it's so beautifully tragic. It's almost like a fucking painting mm-hmm. to me. And just the, the art style, and specifically, like, the last few moments of the show, mm-hmm. the lighting yeah. in it, to, uh, just everything about it is burned into my brain forever. Yeah, it's got one of my, like, top five favorite lines in anything where... Face as a spy, like you're going there to die, and he says, "I'm not going there to die. I'm going there to see if I'm really alive." And like, just what a what a line yeah. to describe the entire show, you know. Um, I think I would still go five. Next year, I wouldn't be shocked if that, and then maybe even another bebop, yeah, it, you know, ends up in there. What What are you? I, I'm okay with relinquishing. And going with five because I I, I can't not put an episode in. Yeah, so. no, one hundred percent. To me, the three shows that needed to be in there was Sopranos, Office, and Bebop. Yeah, because of how important they are to us, and then just truly the quality of them. But also, like you said, diversity's sake. Yeah, you know, to me, Sopranos and Breaking Bad are on the same wavelength. Point, yeah, like The Office and It's Always Sunny are like kind of on the same wavelength. So I was like, you know, exactly. Next year, I'm sure you'll see a lot of this shit. Um, go in. Let me let me formally induct. Yeah, Ballad of Fallen Angels, and for our physical Hall of Fame that we're gonna have, that Funko Pop yeah. set works perfect. There we go. Um, that was part of my my desire because I w- I really want to have a physical Hall of Fame. Right. Uh, okay. Cowboy Bebop season one episode five. Uh, Ballad of Fallen Angels released on September twenty third two thousand one. TVMA twenty five minutes long. Rated a 9.2 out of 10. 
Um, I'm not even going to try to read the Japanese voice cast mm-hmm. out of respect for them. Yeah. I don't want to butcher it. And we watched it with the dub. True. So Steve Bloom, Bo Billingsley, Wendy Lee, Richard Cancino, uh, and then Mary Elizabeth McGlynn, directed by Tetsuya Watanabe and Shinichiro Watanabe, uh, written by Mark Handler. The dub version was written by him. Um, yeah, and I don't want to butcher the other Japanese names, but fucking incredible episode of television. Oh, yeah. Genuinely the most impactful and still fucks with me every time I watch it. You know, and seeing Spike at the end when he's back on the Bebop, you know, covered in fucking bandages and shit. Yeah. You know, with Faye. Yeah, it's like there's something so uh, interesting about seeing your hero get injured and have to recover. Mm -hmm. Because it's the same thing for Daredevil with me. Like, seeing him constantly get the shit beat out of him and now he's got to like take an episode and recover and he's dealing with his injuries and the next time he fights he won't be 100% mm-hmm. but he's still got to fucking do it like exactly oh uh, I love that kind of trope oh, so fucking good uh, okay let's do performance okay this is gonna be this is gonna be a tricky one you wanna give me your first or do you want me to go again uh, I mean I'm pretty sure it's gonna we're gonna be have the same James first. Gandolfini James Tony Gandolfini Soprano. Tony Soprano I mean We've we've said it a million times before. We'll say it a million times again. James Gandolfini is one of the greatest actors of all fucking time. And his performance as Tony Soprano is like the most intensive, the most nuanced, the most critically amazing performance for anyone in anything I have ever seen. Yeah. Like no no performance to me even, I don't want to say even touches it because there's some really great ones and we'll say them. But just, oh my gosh, you know, like he... No one has ever risen the ranks in my respect mm-hmm. level like Gandolfini did throughout that show. Through one thing, really, one property. Yeah. Sopranos. And then just seeing him do other stuff and seeing how much range he had and just what it like what an incredible person, you know, what an incredible actor, you know. Yeah. Taken from us way too fucking soon. I man. know. Um, do you have a favorite like episode of his uh, acting? Ooh. Like a favorite moment, you know? Uh, it would be tough to pick out a specific one. My favorite stuff with him was the stuff with Dr. Melfi. Mm. I feel like he had such a fucking great back and forth with her, and seeing that dynamic, you know, with someone who doesn't talk about shit like that, talking to someone about it. Yeah. I just, I thought, I felt like the way he played it was so excellent, especially because they were never, he was never overt in saying, no. like, oh yeah, I killed a guy yesterday. Right. You know, like they but would But she have to right know. from the start. She knew, yeah. And she's also Italian herself, so she kinda yeah. knows that stuff she's is there's history. Yeah. 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 But yeah, no, I mean so so fucking good and I'd have to agree. Yeah, that the, stuff is and like also the way that he corrupts her throughout the show, you know, is just so it's such a game of chess and like so much of that has to do with the writing. But so much of that has to do with Gandolfini and the way that I feel like he could corrupt anyone. You know, like he's this fat, hairy, mean Italian dude, yet all the women want to bang him and you just want to follow him, you know? Yeah. He's just, oh, he's so fucking great. He's so magnetic. I think specifically Melfi and uh, Tony Soprano's interaction that stands out to me is after Melfi is raped in the parking garage and he is like offering her a way to get revenge. Who did it? You know, who did wants it. to know and you see her she's battling this, yes this fucking war is going on in her head like and and she she holds out she doesn't yeah. give in to the which to that 
she doesn't give in to the dark side, essentially. I don't think I could ever have that restraint as a writer no. to not have Tony Soprano kill that guy. Because that would have been so fucking dope. Yeah. But the moment... And easy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But the fact that they didn't give us that, and they made Melfi take a stand against it, it just... Such a great fucking television show. I mean, genuinely nothing else will ever come fucking yeah. close to that. Um, and then and, another one of my favorite moments of the show is in the final season mm-hmm. where we see, we kind of like back up the fucking lens a little bit mm-hmm. and we remove the microscope that is Little Italy, essentially. Mm-hmm. This little part of Newark, New Jersey, where the this family and these families have been operating. And we see just outside those boundaries, they are losing rev- relevance mm-hmm. and fast. You know, the fucking Jamba Juice that Tony Soprano sells to. Yep. Like, that, all that kind of shit that builds in the in the fifth season. I think that's so fucking brilliant of him to, like, that's that's how we're ending. Yeah. This is where, where this is going afterwards. I'm a sucker for that. Fuck, there's a wall. Mm-hmm. The final second of the final episode of the, of the final season. Yeah. After that, we get no more. So you have to end on a note that's going to be satisfying, that's going to make sense. And, and, I mean, the ending is controversial in a good way, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, Any bad opinion I've ever heard about the finale, to me, is entirely unjustified. Yeah. And it comes from a place of general expectations of what television shows are, but not what this show is. You know, I'd say, to me, it's a fundamental misunderstanding of The Sopranos right. to complain about the way that that show ends. So, And it's like, oh, man. And he... It, David Chase and his and his writers, and I want to say and his writers because mm-hmm. he didn't do it alone. Right. I don't know any of those specific names. I would suggest everyone to look it up, and we'll I'll do that later. I actually. think their names are like writer one. Oh, writer okay, two. Yeah, like thing one, thing two. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, or they're all just like physical manifestations of different parts of his brain. Interesting. Yeah, that would be interesting. But he makes it look so fucking effortless. Yeah, constructing this world and these characters and these interactions that. We've never seen before that, and we won't ever see again. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, absolutely. And, and Gandolfini is at the center of that. Yep. He's controlling everything, or sometimes not. Yeah, yeah. And just even the way he breathes to me. Yes, so I can hear nuanced. it. Yeah. I can hear it. Yeah. Fucking eat, him eating ice cream, yeah. stress eating. Yeah. He, Carmelo's pissed at him, mm. and he like he's fucking scarfing down scoops, and he just kind of sighs because it's not helping. Yeah. Oh. So fucking good, man. It's amazing. You need to watch where the wild things are again. I know. That's I, like, I will give it another shot now. He like deserves it. Right under he deserves it. Tony Soprano for like my favorite Gandolfini performance. It's so fucking good. Um, okay. So the next one I have on here is Steve Carell as Michael Scott. Also the second. It's That was number two for me. Yeah. Potentially the greatest comedic performance of all time I think is right under Tony Soprano in terms of understanding a character, giving them layers, having nuance, being subtle with things, just understanding who that person is, you know, knowing that Michael Scott is this like oblivious asshole that's like wants to be friends with everyone, but at the same time is a dick to everyone, you know, like. And eventually throughout the show, he becomes more endearing and and fun, you know, and he becomes more of like a character. But I think every time he ever got a chance to play Michael Scott, he steals the scene. He does. No one ever outshines him in Mm -hmm. any way. Just even the facial expressions that he'll make. You know, I'm thinking, you know, episode one, when he's firing Pam, fake firing Pam. Yeah. Diversity Day, yeah. you know, what he's talking to Kelly and, you know, the Chris Rock and just all that. 
even kind of like we said earlier, the boom roasted, like, you know, everybody stay fucking calm. Michael Scott Paper Company stuff. Yeah. Stuff with Holly. You know, did Daryl touch you? Like, just <laughs> those lines, <laughs> the way he says them, it's just, it's so fucking perfect, you know? And even oh, even when he shows up in the finale, you know, yeah. it feels like all my kids grew up and married each, married each other. Married each other, you know? <laughs> like, just, he, he's just so great. Yeah. You know, one of my all-time favorite characters and. I think a worthy induction into the Absolutely. into the Just Match Hall yeah. of Fame. You know, well well earned, well deserved. Yeah, uh, I've not like I've never laughed at a single individual more than I have Steve Carell. Yeah, so, uh, there's somebody we know that I've laughed at a lot mm. more, but he wasn't intentionally right. Being funny. Yeah, <laughs> He's just yeah. stupid. Someone we don't actually know. Yeah, right. Because they, as much as I would love to be friends, with or Steve that Carell, wanted to be laughed at. Yeah, you know, that was the intention. Yeah, yeah. so so fucking good and. That character could not exist nowadays. You know, he. I don't think we could ever see him do it again. No, because certainly not the first season. No, where the ra- no. like, like he always has like a bit of a racist undertone, and like yeah. we can see that. You know, it's part of it's just his general overall ignorance. Yeah. But specifically in that season, it is very sharp. Yes, it's yeah. very sharp. That the sexist stuff. It is, but it like it just captures that ignorant boss so perfectly yeah. you know that no one likes but wants to be you know just oh, and, you, so and then they transform him essentially mm-hmm. or he transforms because i almost feel like he's a separate entity yeah into this actual likable endearing dude yeah. and by the end when when steve Carell leaves the show when when michael moves to colorado mm-hmm. everyone's they're singing him songs they're crying yeah they're, it's it's best really boss, really sweet best boss they've ever had yeah. you know and the dundies and just such a fucking wonderful character arc, yeah. too. Just, yeah, all-time all time fucking greatest comedic character ever. So, okay. Hit me with uh, with another performance. <sighs> this one's tough for me because... There's a few on here. And I think it's a little... I don't want to say unfair to uh, movie actors, but you get so much more time with TV characters. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Not to say any movie characters couldn't make it in, and I'm sure there's mm. a few on here that will. And it's I'm so tough. Certain there will next it's year. It's so tough. But any of the people I have written could go in right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Any of them could go in right now. Uh okay. So all right, should we do um, a film? act performance because we've done two television performances or do, should we just go with do what feels right to you oh see i don't know what feels right my uh, uh okay it feels dirty leaving out some of these i will I'm say saying. i will say one okay i'll do this robert downey jr is iron man yeah all right that was on mine and it's because i was like I, and here i was like oh chris evans captain america same but Robert Downey Jr. though he's like Downey Jr. changed to the character. Yeah, and Chris Evans didn't change Captain America. He is Captain America. He he takes the page to the screen more beautifully than almost anyone I've ever seen do it. Yeah, but Downey Jr. morphed the character into himself so much so that the comic books have changed. Yeah, because of Downey Jr.'s portrayal. So to me, that's why you know Chris Evans second class, but Downey Jr. needs to be in the first three. Yeah. Now, granted, you know, we switched over to movies. You could say, well, he did that character 20 times, kind of like a TV show. You had more time to develop it. But 
I think he's so fucking great in that role. Such a hateable, but also likable at the same yeah. time. You know, such a dick, but also when he actually steps up and is heroic, you mm-hmm. want to cheer for it, you know? Um, it's no secret that I hate Iron Man. No fucking secret at all. And if it is, then I'm yeah, a You ain't been paying attention. Yeah. But I have never said I hate Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man. Because he's so good at it, it makes me hate him. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it makes me hate that character even more. Um, now, granted, I think part of this, for me, a lot of Downey Jr.'s performance as Iron Man is so refined in Infinity War and Endgame. Mm-hmm. Now, those aren't available for contention, but there's enough from Iron Man to Age of Ultron of yeah. Downey Jr. just being fucking great right. that it still and, belongs. And, yeah, and so that's weird. It's, I think it deserves it's not still, a pass, yeah. but it's... It didn't start there. No. So absolutely. I would even I, I'm I'm just gonna flat out say that mm-hmm. absolutely him, him and his performance in Endgame and Infinity War mm-hmm. is like the cherry on top. And yeah. it absolutely affected my decision to put him on this list of ten. Sure. So And Civil War too. And it's yeah, it's hard not to Which is and, eligible next year. And even Spider Man Homecoming. Yeah, he's I great think that's a fucking brilliant yeah. thing too. Kind of just refresh it's so cool to actually see him on the screen again mm-hmm. and I don't know, just knowing that we won't get that ever. Sad. It is sad, yeah. yeah. I mean, and I think that also kind of goes to show how fucking great he is that the world mourned the loss of that character, mm-hmm. you know, in Endgame. And just the way that he knows how to deliver certain lines. You know, like like we said, Civil War is ineligible until next year, but, you know, son of a bitch killed my mom. The way he says it is just... Oh, it makes me, it makes me tear up every it, time. Dude, I am a fucking stringent... Captain America fan that despises Iron Man. I was this close to being on his side because of the way Downey Jr. delivers it. Like, this close. Oh, I straight up wanted him to win. Yeah, and I was I, like, I, what the fuck is going to kick his ass, you know? Yeah, like, I mean, it's, they it's... Throw him off the cliff. It's pretty fucking insane, man. You know, and... You know, I've watched that first Iron Man movie several times in the past two years. That's so good, I'll dude. do that's start so and good. stops of MCU rewatches, and that's always the start. So that's always the one that I'll see... Yeah. You know the most, the way that he plays the scene with your favorite Jeff Bridges and oh yeah, where Jeff oh, boy. Jeff Bridges turns heel on him, uh, just when he's finally Iron Man when he's at the press conference at the end and says I am Iron Man. What and a then, book! And I, oh, I fucking love. And then in Endgame when he says I'm it a, again, uh, I'm so glad that that line is in Endgame. Yeah. So fucking glad. Yeah. Well, and then there's even more than that. Like, in Iron Man 2, he says to Pepper, like, it's you. It's always been you. He says that when he's on the Milano at the beginning of yeah. Endgame. You know, he says that to Pepper again. Like, there's so many great parallels yeah. there that are just... There's never been anything like that done in film before of showing a character's arc throughout all of this and the way that it's changed and the years and the stories and just having them be so well-developed like yeah. Tony Stark, Robert Downey Jr. You know, and I think because of that... He firmly sits at, at the top of yeah. the the Just Mash Hall of Fame. Made him a whole bunch of money too. Oh gosh, <laughs> you know I would I mean? like to see those. Can you imagine being the one fucking signing that paycheck oh, and sending it off? Bob Iger. Goodness. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Goodness. Okay. Um. So now we will do the person wing. This one I think will be easy. I would be surprised if the if. The ten people I have on this list aren't the ten people you have, to be honest. Yeah. Number one, Kevin Smith. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's gotta be. If you've listened to any episode of the show, I don't know that we've ever not said his name 
I think we've been very upfront and forward about how much he's inspired us as people and as creatives and as podcasters and writers. You know, I mean, he's one of the greatest fucking people ever. He seems like such a nice, genuine dude. Yeah. The things he does for people, the things he does to inspire people. Right. You know, I mean, it's a, it's it's second to none. We wouldn't be who we are today without Kevin no. Smith. It's just not possible. And the beauty of that is like. Millions of other people yeah. have been inspired by his shit, too. Yep. Like, the amount of times he said, I, I can't think of a specific person. Ron Howard came to mind. I don't know if it was him. But he, people will come up to him, like, massive fucking directors, and say, oh, shit, I love Clarks. It inspired me to do this. Yeah. Th- I'm such a sucker for that. Mm. Things that are created like that that inspire other people to create awesome mm-hmm. shit, too, that's that's life, man. Yeah. That's life to me. It's, and it's he, like poetry around. It, yeah. You know? Yeah, I mean, he just, and also, even taking out all the stuff, like, important stuff that he just means to us is, like, podcasting, he has an incredible film career. <laughs> yeah. You know I mean? Jay and Silent yeah. Bob are two of the most recognizable characters in movie history. You know, I mean, Clerks, Mallrats, Jay and Bob Strike Back, Chasing Amy, Dogma, all fucking incredible. He created a cinematic universe long yeah, before did. Marvel did it. Right. You know, and so so much to the point that DC asked him to do it for them, and he said no. Which is, like, yeah. that's crazy. And then this isn't even mentioning Zack and Mary Make a Porno, which is my favorite fucking comedy film of all time. Easily the one film I've seen the most in my life. Probably in the thousands if I had to take a right. guess, and that's a conservative guess. You know, it's the movie that I feel like I've infected the most people with. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. genuinely, like, the amount of times all of our friends would be hanging out and I would specifically turn that movie on, you know, and every single yeah. time, every time we were all going to sleep, Zach and Mary time, same thing with my fucking family. Like, I think that movie's so, so incredible, and Kevin Smith is just truly somebody to be admired, you know? And hopefully he doesn't get, like, Me Too tomorrow or anything. Right. We gotta scrap this segment, but... That's the tricky I just thing. Believe it, That's the honestly. tricky thing about people in a Hall of Fame. You yeah, know, you can never, you never know. But I'm pretty confident in the people we've got. So, yeah, Kevin Smith, firm, firm belonger in, yeah. in the Just Match Hall of Fame. If not, I would almost even say the most important entry in general mm. in the Just Match Hall of Fame. Yeah. Whatever wing you want to fucking mention. Yeah. Um, okay, give me, give me your two. All right, I'm pretty confident, um, and I, we might. Well, see, I was confident. Thinking <laughs> about it now, it's like if we wanted to kind of, again, touch all of our bases. Yeah. I don't know. But personally, especially in the past year and a half, two years, mm-hmm. I think Mark Marin has been very influential in how I think about interviewing people, how I talk to other people. Yeah. His book, like the compilation mm. audio, you know, the transcript of his interactions with Waiting for the punch. Yeah, that is fucking amazing. Like I've 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 read about half of it, and just like every time I get bogged down in yeah. every single word that he says. But again, he is he's a podcaster. Yeah, primarily. very important so, like, to us. Yes, he will go in the Hall of Fame one day. I don't know. If, let me let me throw another one out there. Okay, Paul McCartney. Uh, he was three. Okay, let's he do Paul, three. and then we'll yeah. talk about the three. Yeah, Paul McCartney to me. Probably the greatest musician of all time. Yeah, easily. Probably. Easily. Potentially the greatest songwriter of all time. You know, one of my all-time favorite singers. Yeah. You know? um, 
his contributions to music and the way that he still is contributing to music as a fucking 70-something-year-old man, still putting out albums. 80 now, I think. 80, yeah. yeah. I mean, his album dropped today. You know, really? Yeah. I'm going to listen to that, actually. McCartney 3. I mean, is there anyone on the planet that has such a fucking air of gravity around them? You know? No. I don't know that there is. Even I'm talking even, like, presidents. You know? I don't know that really any of them compare it to the level of stardom that no. Paul McCartney has. You know? Even the fucking Queen of England I don't feel like is there. I can't think of anyone that no. that could really be Paul McCartney. You know? I mean, he's one of the first superstars to ever live, which is kind of wild. You know? I think his solo career is phenomenal, as is his career in the Beatles, which is the greatest run in music history. Yeah, that was one thing. Yeah. That was already a massive fucking monumental achievement that we'll never ever see again. Yeah. And he's still doing it. And like, he's I'm still so thankful did it. that well, we have him. Yeah, thank man. All the Beatles stuff he did, Hey Jude and Let It Be and all that shit. Whatever. Phenomenal greatest songs of all time. Live and Let Die, fucking silly love songs, Jet, fucking Band on the Run. His Christmas music. Christmas yeah, simply having a wonderful Christmas yeah. time. Fuck like it's insane how deeply woven Paul McCartney is into society of pop culture. Even working with fucking Kanye West and Kanye West and Rihanna and then fucking Michael Jackson. on He's on Thriller. You know, if you ask people what are the two greatest albums of all time, they'll say fucking Sgt. Pepper's and Thriller. Motherfuckers on both of them. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then Stevie Wonder also, he worked with a bunch. He's been on Saturday Night Live so many fucking times. Like, oh my gosh. Like, one of the most incredible people to ever exist. Yeah. One of the most successful and achieved people to ever exist. He's at the top of my list of people I want to meet. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've got, I've always said it. There's five people that I would do literally anything to meet. Paul McCartney, Kevin Smith, Bob Dylan, Stan Lee, but I did meet Stan yeah, Lee. Yeah, yeah, And he's also passed now. And then the fifth one actually kind of has always been a revolving door. Now it is Mark Maron. Previously it was Ringo Starr. At different mm. points it's been John Cena. Um, oh, Yeah. Yeah, recently it was Charlie Coffin, oh, who, probably not this year, but, you know, maybe next year yeah. we'll, we'll make it in. Um, yeah, to me, Paul Paul McCartney just so des- desperately deserves to be in every, yeah. every Hall of Fame. Every one. Every, every single one. So, three. <sighs> who, let, let me see. Let me look at my list again. Yeah. Because. I will tell you what my third one was. Okay. My first was Kevin Smith, Paul McCartney's two. Three was Stanley. Yeah. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Now, I'm not, I, I would almost put him equal to Mark Marin, and then there's a few other people on here that I think so, okay. deserve it. Yeah. All right. Um, I'm going to make another pitch. Okay. Stanley Kubrick. He was my four. Okay. Stanley Kubrick, the third person inducted into the Just Smash Hall of Fame. I think the greatest director of all time after watching Eyes Wide Shut. There was already no doubt yeah. in my mind, but rewatching it and giving it the five, I don't think anyone has ever even come close to the level of incredible storytelling that Stanley Cooper has. You know? It's insanity. I mean, 2001, The Shining, Clockwork Orange, Full Metal Jacket, Eyes Wide Shut, Spartacus, Doctor Strangelove, Pass the Glory, Lolita. Just what an incredible fucking roster of films this man had, you know? And even still until, like, the 90s, late 90s, yeah. he was making shit. That's incredible, you know? 
Will we ever see someone like that again? Probably not. No. And thankfully, we were alive in the years that he also existed. Yeah, yeah. Or not not that he also existed, but that the we can couple, enjoy yeah. his, his oh, yeah, I guess films. Like, yeah. if we were born 100 years ago yeah. or 600 years from now. Yeah. Who knows if we would still be able to exactly. enjoy his work. Yeah, I mean... And it's one thing, because you could even say, oh, well, someone like Spielberg, okay, but how many stinkers has Spielberg had? You know? And he's Why made, like, 35 films, right? So there's rooms for That's some of the greatest... That's probably a conservative number, too. Yeah, there's there's room to have the greatest films ever in there, and the worst. Kubrick only did 13. Heavy hitters, yeah. And they were all incredible. They were all fucking flawless. You know, like, who has a track record like that? Who has such creative genius like that? No one. I genuinely don't think anyone no. touches him in terms of film. I think Paul McCartney and Bob Dylan are up there in music, you know, yeah. and Dylan's another person that it's we'll, just different. we'll do eventually. Yeah. But, you know, and then acting, you know, Gandolfini, Joaquin Phoenix, Philip Seymour Hoffman, like those are the three that I always kind of go to. But when it comes to purely filmmaking, telling stories, changing the world, potentially filming the moon landing, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Stanley Kubrick is the fucking man. He was the man, you know? Oh. Easily my favorite filmmaker. Yeah. No one touches him. Agreed. Yeah. So fucking good. Okay. This is where it gets tricky. Miscellaneous. Yes. The miscellaneous category. Okay, so I'm going to pitch... <sighs> well, hold on. So let's give the criteria. Yeah. Miscellaneous is anything not in those other four categories. Could be literally anything. Now, I will say, I don't think TV shows should belong. No. Because we're doing individual Correct. episodes. Yeah. Um... I don't think film series can go because we're doing individual films. Yeah. Um, anything else, though? Yeah. So books, podcasts. Books, podcasts, music, um, artwork, toys, games. posters, physical objects, games, props, anything can, can really fall into this category. So hit me, hit me with your one. So. And this one I think we might be able to say a lot more. Okay, yeah. So. Um, so, and I know I might be breaking our own rules a little bit. Okay. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pitch this because I'm confident that we won't have the recency bias. Okay. Fortnite. As an entity. So, Fortnite is on my list, and I didn't even think about the fact that it couldn't Because it came out in, what, 2017? I think so. But I don't care. I don't care. Either. I don't care. I think it's got to go on. Rules are meant to be broken everywhere. Right. And I think it's, it's an exception because the reason we have that five-year thing is because of recency bias. Mm -hmm. She could come out that ruins it. Like mm -hmm. you know, it just happens. I'm I this. It's not the case with with Fortnite. I it's think. And it's the miscellaneous category is going to be weird anyways. Yeah. So I think the amount of enjoyment that we've had out of it, also yeah. the anger, yeah. we've had both sides of the spectrum. Well, and you got to think how emotion. many hours of our life were dedicated right. to that, but also how many hours of our podcast have been dedicated. And to also, that. how much of our podcast we've come up with while playing Fortnite. True. We, yeah. we bounce ideas, not even just the podcast, about life and movies mm -hmm. and just tons of other shit happen when you're when you're just mindless, not even mindlessly. Right? Yeah. When you're just fucking around on a game. No, 100%. Or when you're having a serious time on a game. But I think that has just defined the last couple of years mm. for us in, in gaming and just general overall life experience. I, I think it's got to. It's, it's the only to. game I still play. Right. You know, it's the only game that has sustained my gaming status. Yeah. You know, I regularly dump money into that fucking motherfucker, and <laughs> I never thought I would. But they got me. You know, I mean, it's the greatest 
pop culture blender of all time. Every Marvel, it can't be beat. Star Wars, DC, Walking Dead, fucking Stranger Things, John Wick, the NFL, fucking Marshmallow, like every fucking thing goes into fucking Fortnite. And it's such a fun, unique idea, the Battle Royale stuff. They weren't the first, but they're the best, you know, certainly. Yeah, certainly, um, definitely. They, do they do shit that frustrates us? Yes. But do they do shit that makes you fucking come bullets? Yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the, yeah. they, and then I feel like most of the complaints I've ever had, they fixed. Or caused new ones, but fixed mostly, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's just such a genius game. And that's not even to mention the fucking creative mode, which we've dumped hours into with fucking death runs and gun games and visiting Dunder Mifflin and random shit like yeah. that. You and know? Bikini Bottom and yeah. Blood Gulch. And- yeah, and the zombies and the Save the World mode. And just the fact that we can have the squad of Kylo Ren, John Wick, Batman, and Captain America. Where else can you do that? Nowhere. Nowhere. You can't do it. You know, I mean, if you have toys or in your own head, yeah, you yeah. know, or like a porn parody. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Ready Player One, I guess. But, you know, I mean, no. it's it's the thing that we spent all last night doing and we'll probably do it again tonight. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's just the, it's like one of the greatest things, I think, that's defined our friendship in the podcast. Yeah. That good. So, I agree. I didn't even think about it. The, the rules of the, the years. Again, I don't. I think we're yeah we're breaking that fucking rule wide open. It's worth it. Yeah. It's worth it to just kind of blow past it. Uh, okay. Hey Jude. It's on mine. Okay. It's on mine. Second induction into the miscellaneous yeah. wing of the Just Match Hall of Fame. Hey Jude, written by the Beatles, performed by the Beatles, Paul McCartney's masterpiece, one of his fucking masterpieces. I think the greatest song ever written. You know, one of my all-time favorite songs ever written. It's very, very difficult to not shed a tear yeah, while it oh, plays. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know if I told you, but right before, like this year started to go to shit with with COVID and everything, mm-hmm. I think it was in like early February. I was at a dueling piano like bar. Mm-hmm. Have you ever been to one of those? Mm-mm. So the gimmick is there's two pianos, mm-hmm. and you can they pass out these little cards. And you can tip your piano players, give them a couple bucks, and say, hey, play this song for me. Mm. And they'll play that song. Uh, and, of course, you know, everyone's like, uh, at the beginning, they were like, okay, we're some ground rules first. We're not going to do, unless you, like, these are the, these are the like, the top tier ones. Piano Man. Piano Man, Sweet Caroline, yeah. fucking all, like, those, we're not going to play those yeah. unless you give us the big bucks. Because otherwise, we'd be playing that shit all night. Right. Um. But so I tipped like 10 bucks or whatever, and I was feeling generous. I got him to play Hey Jude. Nice. And hearing the entire fucking establishment sing really? along with that. That's cool. Fucking magical. Should have filmed it. I should have. I wasn't, I was yeah. in the fucking moment. Yeah. But as one of my favorite experiences out in the general public, and yeah. I, will, I will absolutely, once things go back to normal or the new normal or whatever that is, yeah. I got to go back and I do that. I was about to say, we'll have to go recreate that. But moment. Hey Jude. Specifically, I think is one of the most beautiful pieces of music yep. ever, and it's so inspiring. But in such an abstract way, mm-hmm. it just gives you these syllables and the and this melody at the end with the na 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 na's. It's like, yeah. oh man, I fucking love it so much. Well, and I mean, even like the opening of the Royal Tenenbaums uses it, but like an orchestral version. And like I remember listening to it, like watching the opening of the film, 
And I'm like, what the fuck is this fucking song? And then when the instruments start going, like the non, I was yeah. like, it's fucking Hey Jude. You yeah. know, like that just goes to show how it's instantly beautiful. recognizable it is. Yeah. You know, easily my favorite song of like, in terms of storytelling. I just, I think it's such a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I'm so happy that it exists. I'm so happy that everyone loves it and that, you know, it, it's the Beatles thing. Yeah. You know, st- stick it, Stones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or really, the Beach Boys. Yeah, or the They're Beach Boys. They're true rival. Yeah. Um, okay, so that that's two, right? Fucking final. I'm going to pitch you something. You might hit, You might love it. You might hate it. All right? And it's a bit weird. But letterboxed. That was my third. Is it really? That was Fuck my third. Fuck yes, dude. That We're was on my the third. fucking ding, on ding, same ding. wavelength. I love it. Yep. Letterboxd is my third. Because I really sat down and I was like, what? Are the most important things to this podcast, to our friendship. Letterboxd is is up there, you know. I would yeah. say even closer to Fortnite. You know what I mean? Like maybe even a little bit above it. I think Letterboxd has been so influential to my fandom of film and to me wanting to do things in it. Yeah. I wouldn't watch as many movies as I do ha- do I if I wasn't keeping track of True. them. You know what I mean? Because now it's like an attainable goal and like you're it's a physical visual yeah. thing as opposed to just watching shit. You know what I mean? Um, it's a great way to connect with film fans, making lists and stuff. We use that for this podcast all the yeah. fucking time. It's been a great outlet for me to write reviews. They've know. even been kind of a sponsor. We and they were away, our sponsor yeah, briefly. We gave yeah. away uh, uh, some Letterboxd yeah. uh, uh, memberships. And they were open to continuing it. We just yeah. didn't follow up on it because yeah. we you know, suck. Yeah, that's all right. It's okay. We'll get them back. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean – and that's the other thing. Like, they're not even a sponsor, but that we still will fucking sing the praises of them. They could have called us fucking beta cucks, and we yeah. would have been like, you're right. You yeah. know, Letterboxd is that great. And, yes, it's been infiltrated by teen girls, and they've kind of ruined it a little bit. But in terms of the personal, the enjoyment that I get out of it and what I use it for, genuinely one of the few things in life that I consider an essential to me. Right. And it's like, it's one thing where I, uh, if I'm talking to somebody or if I see someone mention it on Twitter or Reddit, I'm like, oh, fuck yeah. Because yeah. it's like, it's not it's not Twitter or Facebook. No, but it's growing. But it's growing. Yeah. yeah. It's like, and, and if you look at the team, because they, they have, if you go on the app and you look at like the, mm-hmm. the who's programming all this shit and who's making everything, it's like a team of four or five. Yeah. It's pretty crazy what they've mm-hmm. been able to achieve. And I think they're based in New Zealand. Yeah. And um, I'm so glad that I was I want to fucking visit. I was, I'm able to be a patron now, yeah. you know, and, like, pay for I'm it. I'm a pro. Yeah? Yeah, because they, they had the year for, like, several right. dollars or something. Oh, so, eventually, okay. I'll do patron. Right. But I was like, I am I need the ads gone, <laughs> so yeah. I'm fucking paying for pro. I, I will say, we're not total shills. The ads right. are a bit egregious. Yeah. You know. So, it's... if there's an and, and, like, you know, I, I've got pro now. I don't see them anymore. Yeah, no, I totally forget godsend. they exist, yeah. to be honest with you. Um just the stats that it gives you about your entire time as a film fan on there is super great, and I've been on there since 2014. So seeing all the films I've watched since then and on the exact day I watched yeah. them. Great fucking color scheme, too. Yeah, yeah. I'm love. a big fan of the gray and the blue and the green and the orange. Orange, yeah, yeah. man. Uh, we, need to, we need to buy some Letterbox merch. I, th- I, I considered it. Uh, I'm yeah. pretty poor right now, so. Oh, dude, yeah. Well, yeah. we're trying to find a movie, so. That's true, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I kind of wanted to get the hat, like with the logo on it. And, yeah. You know, maybe like a sweatshirt or something. We will one day. Right. Um, but yeah, Letterboxd, I mean, such an important part of the podcast. That... I'm glad you thought of it as well, because I was like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got some pretty, like, wild shit on here, and I hate that it's a full year before I can, like, tell you right. them. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But sometimes you just got to have some restraint, you know, and I think uh, I think what we have is a pretty fucking special list of 15 things, five different wings of the Hall of Fame. I'll run through them again. Uh, for the film section of the Just Match Hall of Fame, 2001 A Space Odyssey, The Godfather, Captain America, The Winter Soldier, episodes of Television Wing, The Sopranos, Funhouse, The Office, Stress Relief, Cowboy Bebop, Ballad of Fallen Angels, Performances Wing, James Gandolfini as Tony Soprano, Steve Carell as Michael Scott, Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man, The People Wing, Kevin Smith, Stanley Kubrick, Paul McCartney, and then the Miscellaneous Wing, Fortnite, Hey Jude, Letterboxd. Yeah. I feel good about that. I do. Congratulations to all of them. Not yep. that they need it. Nope. Nope. <laughs> they hey. will never fucking hear any of our voices. They can go on their Twitter <laughs> bio, you know? Yeah. It's, and then next year, we will be incredibly vain and we'll nominate ourselves. <laughs> yes. So we can say, hey, I'm in the same Hall of Fame as Paul McCartney. That's true. <laughs> yeah. It's my own. <laughs> it's like how uh, how we can put like time 2007 person of the year on our resumes because yeah. it, was, it was you. Yeah. <laughs> it was everybody. all of us. What a fucking lazy I know. thing I know. did. Bastards. Uh, yeah, man. No, I'm excited. You know, I think this is this gonna is be kind of one of our traditions that we do every year, like the JMFAs from the ground up episodes that we do, the interview episodes that we do. Um, I'm excited for every December for us to sit down and just induct some shit and just you know spread some praise. You yeah. Know? So, all right, you feel good about it? I do. Mark I do. I'm hyped up. What? What'd you say? I said I'm hyped up. Oh, <laughs> I I'm actually genuinely upset that we aren't. That we can't do more. I know. Because I want to like say these other things I had. Yeah. You know? Exactly. And it sucks that it's going to be a full year before we can like talk about them. You know? Because I don't want to spoil them and shit. Right. But until next time. 